Thank you, Jason and worship team. Good morning. Good morning. I'm really excited to be with you guys today. Uh, if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Jeff Rathbun, and I have the honor of serving as the mission pastor here at Solid Rock. And on days like today, I have the immense privilege of standing before you and preaching. And so I'm really excited um, to be able to do that with you guys today. If you have your Bibles or phone or tablet, please uh, feel free to open up to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. We're continuing in our sermon series, Light in the Darkness. And uh, last week, we heard um, that we are to be a light in the darkness as we live in biblical community with one another by humility and serving one another in love. Today, we're going to be seeing that we are going to be a light in the darkness as we go out into our community with the gospel. Now, in the letter to the Romans, Paul is trying to build really two big points, and he's really trying to get these across to the readers. The first is that every single one of us is a sinner, and because we are a sinner, we are unable to make ourselves righteous through following the law. We, in no way, are able to be good enough. We cannot um, follow the law enough. It doesn't matter about our obedience. It does not matter about our perfect attendance record at church. None of that matters because we are sinners and we are unable to work hard enough and make ourselves righteous. That's Paul's first point. The second point that Paul is trying to make in the letter to the Romans is that Christ, through his death, is able to make us righteous when we can't. And that is good news for us. And when we look at Romans 10, we get to this point where Paul is He's building up to this crescendo, talking about the gospel and how the gospel is for salvation and how it is through our um, trusting in Christ that we're able to be saved. And that once we are saved, once we have experienced Christ and his salvation, then we go out and we take that out into the community, out into the darkness. So we're going to start in Romans 10, looking at verse 12. So, look with me now, Romans 10, verse 12 and 13. Paul says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, I really want to start off with a question today. When thinking and looking at verse 12 and 13 and how God says that there is no distinction between one group of people and another, how often is it that we in our own lives tend to act the exact opposite? How often would we, do we tend to think that there are people or types of people that are not worthy of our time or worthy of our attention, let alone those people being brought into the church and being exposed to the grace and the gospel of God. How often is it that we think that? And why, why is that? Now these could be different types of people that we in some way think are not worthy of our time, or worthy of our attention. It could be someone who has a different socioeconomic status as we do, someone who lives in a different neighborhood from us, someone who has a different educational background, someone who has a different ethnicity. 
What we do when we buy into this lie that there are people who are different from us and that they are not worthy of our time, when we say that, we create divisions between us and others and we deny those people the opportunity to hear the gospel. But why is that darkness so alluring to us? Because the darkness that's out there, outside of the church, the darkness is what presents these distinctions to us. The darkness presents these divisions to us, but we're supposed to fight against them. But the darkness blinds our eyes, it dims our sight, and it tricks us into seeing divisions and distinctions when they're not there. And when it comes to the church, we shouldn't see that way. We should not see the same way that the world sees people. But more often than not, when we look at the history of the church and the history of our country, we see that rather than fighting against division, what we tend to do is we tend to co-opt and bring them into the church. We bring them in, we might even baptize it and say that it's a good thing that we're doing this. We've even seen in our history that we've used the Bible to defend divisions between people. And I firmly believe that that is wicked and evil. But God, blessedly, our God does not see the same way that we see. God does not hold back his grace from one ethnic group until they conform to that of another. God doesn't do that. God doesn't skimp on his grace when he looks at one person and says, you're from this neighborhood? No, no, no. You need to move up to another neighborhood, or you need to get a different degree, or you need to get a different job. God doesn't hold back his grace from people in their life circumstances, or their, uh, their jobs, or whatever the case may be. Whoever calls on him, he bestows his riches of his mercy and his grace. And we see, we see this problem and this question of distinctions and conformity really early on in the church. In Acts 15, we get to the Jerusalem Council. And at the Jerusalem Council, there's this big question that's, that's come up. People who are not Jewish, how do they become Christian? Because up until that point, it had only been Jewish believers who were, who were believers. These were God-fearing Jews who followed the law. They went to synagogue. They went, they, they went to the temple when they were able to. They followed the dietary laws. They were good Jews who believed in Christ, and they bend their knee and worshiped him as the Lord. But as pagans and Gentiles started to drift into the church, as they started recognizing their need for salvation, the Jewish believers were like, whoa, 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 hold on. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You need to become like us first before you can become a Christian. It means you need to be circumcised, you need to follow the law, you need to practice the dietary restrictions and go to synagogue and temple like we do. And in Acts 15, led by the Holy Spirit, the church unanimously said, no. That we are not going to have divisions between us that keep believers apart. So we don't have conformity to Judaism or conformity to another ethnic group or conformity to a certain style of worship. We have conformity to one person and one person alone, and that is Christ. And that is who we're called to conform to. 
So we see that God is merciful and gracious to all who call on him. And so it doesn't matter for European descent or for Asian descent or African descent. It doesn't matter what, your, what neighborhood you live in. It doesn't matter if you are a high school dropout or if you have two PhDs. It doesn't matter if you work at McDonald's or if you work at Goldman Sachs. If you call on Christ, you will be saved. Full stop. But now, we might tend to think, well, okay, yeah, that's good. God doesn't see differences between us. He just bestows his grace on those who call on him. But isn't it natural for us as human beings to kind of drift into kind of groups of people that look and act like us? We might think that 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 might be okay, right? Well, let's look at Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Paul writes there, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace." and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Christ in his death, Christ in his flesh, he has made reconciliation for divided humanity. And by doing that, he has undone all of the various divisions that we impose upon ourselves through law, through custom, through ethnicity. All of it is gone. But yet we experience so much pain, we experience so much strife, we experience so much division and hurt because of our sinfulness that puffs up each and every one of us. And that sinfulness separates us and divides us from one another. Christ's death even does away with that. And all the strife, pain, division, the hurt, all of it is gone. And yet, we still have a responsibility to work together towards that peace. It is one of those really common things in the Christian faith where we have this reality that Christ has done for us that we still have to work towards. It is a now and not yet reality where we are called to work together, to grow together into the household 
of God, the dwelling place of God, being built up together by his spirit. And when we think about this, we're like, okay, great, yes. Christ and God does not see any distinction between people. Whoever calls on him, they experience salvation. We don't experience division. We shouldn't experience division within the church. We fight towards unity. We fight for peace together. Well, then that just leaves the enemy that is out there in the darkness. But what is our enemy? Who is our enemy that's out there in the darkness? Unless we think that it's somebody who is trapped in sin who is our enemy. Paul also reminds us in Ephesians 6, 12. In Ephesians 6, 12, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. All those who are outside of the faith, all those who are outside of the church, all those who are not believers, they are not even our enemy. Because those people are trapped in darkness, they're trapped in sin, just like each and every one of us was at one point in time. Until somebody led by God brought the gospel to you and talked the words of Christ to you. And then God, through the preaching of his gospel, opened your eyes and gave you new life. And so doing that, you are then called and sent back out to the darkness to bear the flame and the light of the gospel to help free those people who are trapped in sin. God gives the riches of his grace to all who call on him. And this, the riches of his grace, it brings various people into communion with him and with each other. And when various people are brought into communion with each other, there's tension and hostility that we experience. And this is brought on by our sinfulness and our pride. But we need to remember that Christ in his death has done away with those divisions and away with that hostility and that tension between us. And yet we are still responsible for working towards the now and not yet reality of that peace that he himself has brought for us. So let's continue on looking in Romans 10. We're going to continue um, with verse 14. So Romans 10, picking back up in verse 14. Paul says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they, not, they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So as we've seen that the, there's no reason for there to be division between us because Christ has brought down the hostility between us and that those who are outside of the church are trapped in darkness and sin, we now see the call and we see the responsibility of every single person here right now, who is a believer, our call and our responsibility is to share our faith, to be the light in the darkness. Now here's the bottom line. God uses believers to save others. He uses people like you and people like me to draw sinners to himself. We are God's means 
of reaching the world. We are God's means of reaching others for their salvation. As far as I've seen throughout the New Testament, God does not have a plan B. It is us. And if we fail to follow and to fulfill our commissioning, then once again, we are denying people the ability and the chance to hear the gospel. And that is a tragedy. But how are these people supposed to call on Christ if they've never believed in him? How, how, how can that be? And how can they believe in Christ if they've never been told about Christ? If they've never heard about him, how can they believe? And how are people to hear about Christ if no one preaches to them? Now I need to pause right here and talk about what preaching actually is. Because what we tend to think of in our mind as preaching is this. Standing on a stage or behind a podium and opening God's word and speaking those words to others on a Sunday morning for about 30 minutes. And while that's true, this is preaching. What Paul's getting at here is much, much more than just this. One who preaches is one who heralds forth good news. One who is telling others simply who Christ is and what he has done for us. And because that is what preaching is, this means that every single one of us in this room who is a believer should be able to do that. Each one of us should be able to preach the gospel to those around us. But then Paul's next question is, how are they to preach? How are you to preach to others unless you are sent out? We need to recognize that once again, we tend to think of being sent out or being commissioned as one specific act or one thing. Like when we have a mission teams that go out on a mission trip, we bring them up here in front of the stage, we pray over them, and they are commissioned. They are sent out to do the mission trip that we're sending them on. My family even, in 2017, we were brought up here and we were commissioned and sent to the Philippines. Commissioning is also much more than that because it, also ha it actually happens every single Sunday at church at the end of the service. And you guys can watch Jeremy at the end when he does this. He will say, as we go out to live the mission this week, that is us being commissioned to take what we've learned here out into the community, out into the darkness. We need to recognize that we have all been sent and all of us have been commissioned for the work of evangelism. We've all been sent into our communities with the good news. And when we are faithful to, to bear that good news, when we're faithful to be the light in the darkness, then Paul says that we have beautiful feet. Now that might be a weird mental picture for some of us, but let's not get caught up in, in that specifically. But let's, let's realize what Paul is saying here is that whoever is being faithful to share the gospel with others, they are being a true messenger. And they are bringing the only good news that has ever been proclaimed on the face of this planet. Because when we think about it, when we think about anything else that we've called good news, it pales in comparison to the gospel. The gospel is the good news. And we are true messengers when we take it with us wherever we go, telling others about Christ, heralding 
our king. And this reminds me of a really nerdy but cool little book series that we read. Initially, uh, it was a, it's a children's book series called The Green Ember. And we originally started reading it to our kids, and our kids were not fans of it. So then me and my wife ended up reading the rest of the series by ourselves because it so good. It's amazing. If you have kids, read it. If you don't have kids, read it. It'll change your life. But spoiler alert, it's about rabbits. Um, it's about rabbits with swords. That's not piquing anybody's interest, I see. Okay, so, <clears throat> so this story is about uh, this kingdom of rabbits whose king is betrayed by a close friend. And because of his betrayal, he is killed by evil and dark forces in the world. And because of that death of the king, their whole kingdom, their whole world, their whole way of life is just wiped out and decimated. Destruction and pain reigns in these rabbits' lives. But they've heard a prophecy and they look forward with hope to when the king will take his rightful place again, where the heir will take his throne as the rightful king and he will defeat the darkness, he will defeat the evil, and he will restore, he will heal and he will bring peace. And I don't know about you, but that is a fantastic picture of the gospel. where We have a king that we are eagerly waiting for to come in to fix everything that's messed up in our world, everything that's messed up in our lives, to restore peace, his peace. But it gets even better, because not only are these rabbits just waiting, twiddling their thumbs and burrows, they're not doing that. They're living as if that reality is happening now. And that's what we're just talking about right now, how we are to work together, work towards peace and unity as one, and then going out into our community to tell others about that king, to tell others about the hope that we have experienced, the peace that we have experienced, the, the restoration and the healing that can only come from Christ. And one of the, they say two really important phrases throughout the whole series. The first one is that as they are living their lives, in their workplaces, and in their vocations, and just in their homes, and in their families, they say that we are heralds of the mending. They are heralds of that eventual restoration and healing. And we're, we're heralds of that same type of mending where we're going around telling others through our lives and through our words and our love, there's something better than what you're in right now. There's something better than the darkness and the despair that you're trapped in. But then the other thing that they continually say to each other, they encourage each other with this. They say, bear the flame. They encourage each other to bear the flame in the darkness, to go out into the world and to bring others who are straggling, others who are lost, others who are hopeless, and bring them into the community where there's safety and security and hope. And that's what we do. We bear the flame of the gospel out in our community, out in the darkness, where there are people who are hurting, where there are people who are lost, where there are people that you have contact with, and that might be the only point of contact between that person and the church that, that they might know. You have a responsibility to bear the flame in the darkness. 
And that really goes along with the, the entire, uh, the verse that we've been hearing throughout the past couple of weeks throughout this series. In Matthew 5, 14 through 16, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp, put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Guys, we are the light in the darkness. We are God's plan for bringing redemption into our homes, into our communities, into our workplaces, into our nation, and into our world. We are God's plan. But just like Paul recognizes, he says that not everybody has obeyed the gospel. Not everybody believes that because we are not able to generate our own faith. I cannot create faith in myself. You cannot create faith in yourselves, which means that you cannot also create faith in another person, which means you cannot debate someone into believing the gospel. You cannot beat someone into, beating, into believing the gospel. You can't berate them into believing. Because faith is a gift from God that comes from hearing the gospel proclaimed to a person. And when that gospel is proclaimed to a person and they hear those words, then God opens their eyes and gives them new life. And now we also have to get this straight. We don't get to make up what the gospel is. We do not pick and choose what the gospel is. So the gospel is the good news that every single one of us are sinners. And because we are sinners, every single one of us needs a savior. And Jesus Christ is that savior. He lived, he died, he was buried, and he was resurrected. And because of his resurrection, he triumphed over sin and he triumphed over death. And because of that, he is able to bring us new life. The gospel story is the story that defines us as a church community. And that same gospel story, it gives meaning to each of our individual stories. It gives meaning to our own hurts. It gives meaning to our own sins. It tells us what are we to do with our sin? What are we to do with our brokenness? How are we to find restoration? How are we to find redemption? The gospel tells us it is through Christ. And that same gospel story offers all of that to those who are trapped in darkness out there. That same hurt the same sin, the same brokenness that the world has, that people who are trapped in darkness have, the gospel speaks to them. And we are responsible, each one of us, for bearing that flame into the world. Now, you might agree with me through all of this, you might be like, yeah, of course. I do have a responsibility to, to, to evangelize others and to share the gospel with others. I do. I recognize that. But you might be also thinking, well, how? What does that look like? Well, first, we have to recognize that it's not going to look the same for each and every one of us. 
Because each of us has different jobs, we live in different neighborhoods, we, we all have different lives. But here's some examples, recent examples, of what bearing the gospel is and looks like from within our church. Bearing the gospel into the darkness could be a, a, a community group that bands together to help a homeless woman get back on her feet, sharing the good news and the love of God with her every single step of the way. Bearing the gospel into the darkness could be the generosity of our church donating so much food that local food banks in our area were able to feed over 550 families between April and May. It could also look like so much generosity from within our church that our tiny little food pantry that's over there in the kids' building literally cannot hold all of it. And in fact, I had to stash quite a bit of it in different parts around the church. Just don't mention that to Jason if you see him. <laughs> Bearing the gospel into, our, into the darkness around us could look like someone who is lovingly, patiently, consistently seeing how the gospel speaks to their coworkers' pain and hurt in their lives and then faithfully, patiently, prayerfully, lovingly sharing the gospel with them, speaking the words of life to them. Bearing the gospel in the darkness could mean you guys inviting people to church, and we encourage that. We want you to do that so that people can hear the gospel proclaimed and they can experience the grace of God. But it could look even better if you guys share the gospel to those you are building relationships with right now. Because each and every one of us have myriad opportunities that others don't. In our own workplaces, in our own communities, we all have relationships that provide prime examples and prime opportunities for us to be the light in the darkness to those who are hurting. So as we start to wrap up today, I want to ask you two questions, two things I want to think about. First is, what divisions do you see that are within the church, and how can you specifically work towards peace and unity? What divisions do you see, and how can you help work towards peace and unity? And the second is, what does it look like for you to bear the gospel in your community? What does it look like for you to bear the gospel in your workplace? Now, you also might be thinking, well, none of this really applies to me because I'm not even really a Christian. And you might know that, and you might feel that tug and that pull of something pulling you and saying, no, 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 what's going on in your life isn't right because you need the gospel. If that is you, if you're feeling the, the pull and the draw towards the gospel and towards God today, I'm going to pray for you in a little bit, and I highly, highly encourage you, come find one of our pastors. We'll be up here at the front after the service, and we would love to talk with you about the grace of God. At this time, I'm going to call the worship team back up, and, and we're going to pray. So let's pray. God, we do thank you for your goodness and your mercy and the richness of your grace that you pour out upon us that we do not deserve. God, we recognize that there are hurt and pain and division within this world, and you, through your death on the cross, have taken away that hostility, and yet you've called us to work towards peace together as brothers and sisters. 
And God, as we continue on in worship today, help us to be mindful of those divisions and the hurt and how the gospel speaks to that and how we are encouraged to love one another and to spur one another on, not just towards unity and peace here, but also to drive ourselves out into the community, to be light in the darkness with your gospel of grace and hope. God, help us to be mindful and think about different ways and different opportunities that you've given us to preach the gospel to those who are around us, whether it's in our homes or our jobs or in our neighborhoods. Help us have eyes to see people who are hurting so we can share that hope and that love with them. God, be with us as we continue in worship today. It's in your good and holy name that I pray. Amen.